0: Chapter 1. This is the story of an adventure that happened in Narnia, in Calarman, in the lands between, in the golden age, when Peter was high king in Narnia, and his brother and his two sisters were king and queens under him. In those days, far south in Calormen, on a little creek of the sea, there lived a poor fisherman called Ashrish, and with him there lived a boy who called him father. The boy's name was Shasta. On most days, Arshish went out in his boat to fish in the morning, and then in the afternoon, he harnessed his donkey to a cart and loaded the cart with fish, and went a mile or so southward to the village to sell it. If it had sold well, he would come home in a moderately good temper and say nothing to Shasta. But if it had sold badly, he would find fault with him and perhaps beat him. There was always something to find fault with where Shasta was had plenty of work to do, mending and washing the nets, cooking the supper, and cleaning the cottage in which they both lived. Shasta was not at all interested in anything that lay south of his home because he had once or twice been to the village with Arshish, and he knew there was, that there was nothing very interesting there. In the village, he only met other men who were just like his father, men with long, dirty robes, wooden shoes turned up at the toe, Turbans on their heads, beards, talking to one another very slowly about things that sounded dull. But he was very interested in everything that lay to the north, because no one ever went that way, and he was never allowed to go there himself. When he was sitting out of doors, mending the nets and all alone, he would often look eagerly to the north. One could see nothing but a grassy slope running up to a level ridge, and beyond that the sky with perhaps a few birds in it sometimes if arshish was there shasta would say oh my father what is there beyond that hill and if the fisherman was in a bad temper he would box shasta's ears and tell him to attend to his work or if he was in a peaceful mood he would say oh my son do not allow your mind to be distracted by idle questions for one of the poets has said application to business is the root of prosperity but those who ask questions that do, do not concern them are steering the ship of folly towards the Rock of intelligence Shasta thought that beyond the hill there must be some delightful secret which his father wished to hide from him. In reality, however, the fisherman talked like this because he didn't know what lay to the north. Neither did he care. He had a very practical mind. One day there came from the south a stranger who was unlike any man that Shasta, Shasta had seen before. He rode upon a strong, dappled horse with flowing mane and tail, and his stirrups and bridle were inlaid with silver. The spikes of a helmet project, projected from the middle of his silken turban, and he wore a shirt of mail. By his side hung a curving scimitar. Schmisch- Guitar, a round shield studded with bosses of brass hung on at his back, and his right hand grasped a lance. His face was dark, but this did not surprise Shasta, because all of the people of Calamurn are like that. What did surprise him was the man's beard, which was dyed crimson, and curled and gleaming with scented oil. But Arshish knew by the gold on the stranger's bare arm that he was a Tarkin, or great lord, and he bowed, kneeling before him till his beard touched the earth, and made sign to Sasha to kneel also. The stranger demanded hospitality for the night, which, of course, the fisherman dared not refuse. All the best they had was laid before him for supper, and he didn't think much of it. And Shasta was, as always, happened to be, as always, when happened, the fisherman had company was given a hunk of bread and turned out of the college. On these occasions, he usually slept with the donkey in this little thatched stable. But it was much too early to go to sleep yet, and Shasta, who had never learned that it was wrong to listen behind doors, sat down with his ear to a crack in the wooden wall in the cottage to hear what the grown-ups were talking about. This is what he heard. And now, O oh my host, said the Tarkin, I have a mind to buy that boy of yours. O oh, my master, replied the fisherman, and Shasta knew by the wheedling tone the greedy look that was probably coming into his face when he said it. What price could induce your servant, poor thing as he is, to sell into slavery his only child and his own flesh? Has not one of the poets said natural affliction affection is stronger than soup and offspring, more precious than carbuncle's? It is even so, replied the guest dryly, but another poet has likewise said, he who attempts to deceive the judicious is already bearing his own back for the scourge. Do not load your aged mouth with falsehoods. This boy is manifestly no son of yours, for your cheek is as dark as mine, but the boy is fair and white like the accursed but beautiful barbarians who inhabit the remote north. How well it is said, answered the fisherman. That swords can be kept off the shields, but the eye of wisdom pierces through every defence. Now then, O oh my formidable guest, that because of my extreme poverty, I have never married and have no child, but in that same year in which the rock may he live forever, began his August and beneficial reign on a night when the moon was at her full, it pleased the gods to deprave me of my sleep. Therefore I arose from my bed and this hovel and went forth to the beach to refresh myself with looking upon the water and the moon and breathing the cool air. Presently, I heard a noise of oars as of oars coming to me across the water, and then, as it were, a weak cry shortly after the tide brought to the land a little boat in which there was nothing but a mean, lean but a man lean with extreme hunger and thirst, who seemed to have died but a few moments before, for he was still warm and an empty water skin, and the child still living. Doubtless, said I, those unfortunates have escaped from the wreck of a great ship, but by the admirable designs of the gods, the elder has starved himself to keep the child alive, and has perished inside of land. Accordingly, remembering how the gods never fail to reward those who befriend the destitute, and being moved by compassion, for your servant is a man of tender heart, Leave out all those idle words in your own praise, interrupted the Tarkin. It is enough to know that you took the child, and have had ten times the worth of his daily bread out of him in labor, as anyone can see. And now tell me at once what price you put on him, for I am wearied with your loquacity. You yourself have wisely said, answered Arshish, that the boy's labor has been to me of inestimable value. This must be taken into account in fixing the price." For if I sell the boy, I must undoubtedly either buy or hire another to do his work. I'll give you fifteen crescents for him, said the Tarkin. Fifteen, cried Arshish in a voice, and that was something between a whine and a scream. Fifteen, for the prop of my old age and the delight of my eyes. Do not mock my gray beard, Tarkin, though you may be. My price is seventy. At this point, Sasha got got up and tiptoed away. He had heard all he wanted. For he had often listened when men were bargaining in the village and knew how it was done. He was quite certain that Ashish was would sell him in, in the end for something much less than much more than fifteen crescents and much less than seventy. But that he he and the Tarkin would make take hours into getting to the agreement. You must not imagine that Shasta felt that all as you and I would feel if you had just overheard our parents talking about selling us for slaves. For one thing, his life was already little better than slavery. For all he knew, the lordly stranger on the horse might be kinder to him than our sheaths. For another, the story about his own discovery in the boat had filled him with excitement and with a sense of relief. He had often been uneasy because, try as he might, he had never been able to love the fisherman. And he knew that a boy ought to love his father. But, and now, apparently, he was no relation to Arshish at all. That took a great weight off his mind. Why, I might be anyone, he thought. I might be the son of a Tarkin himself. Or the son of the great Torsk, may he live forever. Or other god. He was standing out in the grassy place before the cottage while he... Th- thought these things through. Twilight was coming on a pace, and a star or two was already out, but the remains of the sunset could still be seen in the west. Not far away, the stranger's horse, loosely tied to an iron ring in the wall of the donkey stable, was grazing. Shasta strolled over to it and patted its neck. It went on tearing up the grass and took no notice of him. Then another thought came into Shasta's mind. "'I wonder what sort of man the Tarkin is,' he said aloud. "'It would be splendid if he was kind. "'Some of the slaves in the great lord's house have next to nothing to do. "'They wear lovely clothes and eat meat every day. "'Perhaps he'd take me to the wars and I'd save his life in a battle "'and then he'd set me free and adopt me as his son "'and give me a palace and a chariot and a suit of armor. "'But then he might be a horrid cruel man. "'He might send me to work in the fields and chains.' Oh, I wish I knew How can I know? I bet this horse knows if only he could tell me the horse had looked at its head, Shasta stroked its smoothest satin nose, and said, "I wish you could talk, old fellow and then, for a second, he thought he was dreaming for quite decently, distinctly he though in a low voice, the horse said, "But I can Shasta stared into its great eyes and his own. Grew almost as big with astonishment. "'How ever did you learn to talk?' he asked. "'Hush, not so loud,' replied the horse. "'Where I come from, nearly all of the animals talk. "'Wherever is that?' asked Shasta. "'Narnia,' said the horse. "'The happy land of Narnia. "'Narnia of the heathery mountains and the timey downs.' Narnia of the many rivers and the plashing glens, the mossy caverns, and the deep forests ringing with the hammers of the dwarves. Oh, the sweet air of Narnia. An hour's life there is better than a thousand years in Calroman. It ended with a whinny that sounded very much like a sigh. How did you get here? Shasta asked. Kidnapped, said the horse. Or stolen, or captured. Whichever you like to call it. Oh... I was only a fool at the time. My mother warned me not to to range the southern slopes into Argentinland and beyond, but of course I wouldn't heed her, and by the lines made I have paid for my folly. All these years I have been a slave to humans, hiding my true nature and pretending to be dumb and witless like their horses. Why don't you tell me tell them who you you were? Not such a fool, that's why. If they'd once found out i could talk they would have made a show of me at fairs and guarded me more carefully than ever my last chance of escape would have been gone and why began shasta but the horse interrupted him now look we mustn't waste time on idle questions you want to know about my master the Tarkin andron well he's bad not too bad to me for a wool horse costs too much money to be treated very badly "'But you'd better be lying dead tonight than go to be a human slave in his house tomorrow.' "'Then I'd better run away,' said Shasta, turning very pale. "'Yes, you had,' said the horse. "'But why not run away with me?' "'Are you going to run away too?' said Shasta. "'Yes, if you'll come with me,' said the horse. "'This is the chance for both of us. "'You see, if I run away without a rider, "'everyone who sees me will say, "'Stray horse and be after me as quick as he can.' With a rider, I've a chance to get through. That's where you can help me. On the other hand, you can't go very far on those two silly little legs of yours what absurd legs humans have We're without being overtaken. But on me, you can outdistance any other horse in the country. That's where I can help you. By the way, I suppose you do know how to ride. Oh, yes, of course, said Shasta. At least I've ridden the donkey. "'Ridden the what?' retorted the horse with extreme contempt. At least, that is what he meant. Actually, it came out sort of a nay. "'Ridden the what?' Talking horses always sound more horsey in accent than they are when they are angry. In other words, it continued, "'You can't ride? That's the drawback. I'll have to teach you as we go along. If you can't ride, can you fall?' "'I suppose anyone can fall,' said Shasta.' I mean, can you fall and get up again without crying and mount again and fall again and yet not be afraid of falling? Uh, I'll I'll try, said Shasta. Poor little beast, said the horse in a gentler tone. I forget you're only a fool. We'll make a fine rider of you in no time. And now we mustn't start until those two are in in the hut or asleep. Meantime, we can make our plans. My Tarkin is on his way north of the great city and... "'Hashban itself, in the court of the Tisrock. "'I say,' pitched Shasta in a rather shocked voice, "'Oughtn't you say may he live forever?' "'Why?' said, asked the horse. "'I'm a free Narnian, and why shouldn't I talk slaves and fools talk? "'I don't want to him to live forever, "'and I know that he's not going to live forever whether I want him to or not. "'And I can see you're from the free north, too. "'No more of this southern jargon between you and me. "'And now back to our plans.' As I said, my human is on his way north, to Tashban. Does that mean we'd better go south? Oh, I think not, said the horse. You see, he thinks I'm dumb and witless like his other horses. Now, if I really were, the moment I got loose, I'd go back home to my stable and paddock, back to his palace, which is two days' journey south. That's where he'll look for me. He'd never dream of my going on north on my own. And anyway, he will probably th- probably think that someone in the last village who saw him riding through has followed us here and stolen me. "Oh, hurrah," said Shasta. "Then we'll go north. I've been longing con- longing to go north all my life." "Oh, of course you have," said the horse. "That's because of the blood that's in you. I'm sure you're true tr- northern stock. But not too loud. I should think they- they're asleep soon now." Oh, I'd very creep back and see,' suggested Shasta. "'It's a good idea,' said the horse, "'but take care that you're not caught.' "'It was a good deal darker now and very silent "'except for the sound of the waves on the beach, "'which Shasta hardly noticed "'because he had been hearing it day and night "'as long as he could remember. "'The cottage, as he approached it, showed no light. "'When he listened at the front, there was no noise. "'Then he went round to the back to the only window.' He could hear, after a second or two, the familiar noise of the old fisherman's squeaky snore. It was funny to think that, if all went well, he would never hear it again. Holding his breath and feeling a bit sorry, but much less sorry than he was glad, Shasta glided away over the grass and went to the donkey stable, groped along to a place he knew where the key was hidden, opened the door, and found the horse's saddle and bridle, which had been locked up there for the night. He bent forward and kissed the donkey's nose. "'I'm sorry we can't take you,' he said. "'There you are,' at last,' said the horse when he got back to it. "'I was beginning to wonder what had become of you.' "'I was getting your things out of the stable,' replied Shasta. "'And now can you tell me how to put them on?' For the next few minutes, Shasta was at work. "'very cautiously to avoid jingling while the horse said things like, "'Get that girth a bit tighter, or you'll find a buckle lower down, "'or you'll need to shorten those stirrups a good bit.' "'When all was finished, it said, "'Now you've got to have reins for the look of things, "'but you won't be using them. "'Tie them to the saddlebow, very slack, "'so that I can do what I like with my head. "'And remember, you are not to touch them.' "'What are they for?' asked shasta ordinarily for directing me replied the horse but i and as i intend to do all the directing on this journey you will please keep your hands to yourself and there's another thing i'm not going to have you gripping my mane but i say pleaded shasta if i'm not to hold on by the reins or by your mane what am i to hold on by hold on with your knees said the horse there's no see that's the secret of good riding. "'Grip my body between your knees as hard as you like. "'Sit straight up, straight as a poker. "'Keep your elbows in. "'And, by the way, what did you do with the spurs?' "'Put them on my heels, of course,' said Shasta. "'I do know that much. "'Then you can take them off and put them in the saddlebag. "'You may be able to sell them when we get to Tashman. "'Ready? "'And now I think you can get up.' "'Oh, you're dreadfully tall,' gasped Shasta "'after his first and unsuccessful attempt.' I'm a horse, that's all, was the reply. Anyone would think I was a haystack from the way you're trying to climb up me. There, that's better. Now sit up and remember what I told you about your knees. Funny to think of me, who has led cavalry charges and won races, having a potato sack like you in the saddle. However, off we go, it chuckled, but not unkindly. And and cert- certainly began their journey, Their journey. journey, their night journey with great caution. First of all, it went just south of the fisherman's cottage to the little river, which there ran into the sea, and took care to leave, in the mud, some very plain hoof marks pointing south. But as soon as they were in the middle of the ford, it turned upstream and waited till they were about a hundred yards farther inland than the cottage. Then it selected a nice gravelly bit of bank, which would take no footprints, and came out on the northern side. Then, still at the walking pace, it went northward till the cottage, the one tree, the donkey stable, and the creek. Everything, in fact, that Shasta had ever known, had sunk out of sight in the grey summer-night darkness. They had been going uphill, and now were at the top of the ridge. The ridge which had always been the boundary of Shasta's known world. You could not see what was ahead except that it was all open and grassy. It looked endless, wild, lonely, and free. I say, observed the horse, what a place for a gallop, eh? Oh don't what said Shasta, not yet. I don't know how to please horse. I don't know your name. Bree handy brinny, handy briny hoody ha, said the horse. Oh, I'll never be able to say that, said Shasta. Can I just call you Bree? Well, if that's the best you can do, I suppose you must, said the horse. And what should I call you? I'm called Shasta. Hmm, said Bree. Well, now there's a name that's really hard to pronounce. But now about this gallop. It's a good deal easier than trotting if you only knew, because you don't have to rise and fall. Grip with your knees and keep your eyes straight ahead between my ears. Don't look at the ground. If you think you're going to fall, just grip harder and set up straighter. Ready? Now, for Narnia and for the North. Chapter 2 It was nearly noon on the following day when Shasta was awakened by something warm and soft moving over his face. He opened his eyes and found himself staring into the long face of the horse. Its nose and lips were almost touching his. He remembered the exciting events of the previous night and sat up. But as he did, so he groaned. "'Oh, Bree,' he gasped, "'I'm so sore. All over. I can hardly move.' "'Good morning, small one,' said Bree. "'I was afraid you might feel a bit stiff.' It can't be the falls. You didn't have more than a dozen or so, and it was all lovely, soft, springy turf that must have been about a pleasure to fall on. And the only one that might have been nasty was broken up by the coarse bush. No, it's the writing itself that comes hard at first. What about breakfast? I've had mine. Oh, bother breakfast, bother everything, said Shasta. I tell you, I can't move. But... "'The horse nuzzled at him with its nose "'and pawed him gently with a hoof "'till he had gotten him up. "'And then he looked at him and saw where they were. "'Behind them lay a little cor- copse. "'Before them the turf dyed with white flowers "'sloped down to the brown brow of a cliff. "'Far below them, so that it- the sound of the breaking waves "'was very faint, lay the sea. "'Shasta had never been in from such a height and never had seen so much of it before, nor dreamed how many colors it had. On either hand, the coast stretched away, headland after headland, and at the points you could see the white foam running up the rocks, but making no noise because it was so far off. There were gulls flying overhead, and the heat shivered on the ground, but it was a blazing day. But what Shasta chiefly noticed was the air. He couldn't think what was missing until at last he realized that there was no smell of fish in it. For, of course, neither in the cottage nor among the nets had he ever been away from that smell in his life. This new air was so delicious, and all his old life seemed so far away that he forgot for a moment his bruises and his aching muscles, and said, "'I say, Bree, did you say something about breakfast?' "'Yes, I did,' answered Bree. "'I think you'll find something in the saddlebags. They're over there on that tree where you hung them up last night, or early this morning, rather.' They investigated the saddlebags, and the results were cheering. A meat pasty, only slightly stale, a lump of dried figs, and another lump lump of green cheese, a little flask of wine, and some money, about forty crescents in all, which was more than Shasta had ever seen in his life. While Shasta sat down, painfully and cautiously, of course, with his back against a tree, he started on the pasty. Bree had a few more mouthfuls of grass to keep him company. Won't it be, be stealing to use the money? Asked Shasta. Oh, said the horse, looking up with his mouth full of grass. I never thought of that. A free horse and a talking horse mustn't steal, of course. But I think it's alright. We're prisoners and captives in enemy country. The money is booty, spoil. Besides, how are we to get any food for ye without it? I suppose, like all humans, you won't eat natural food like grass and oats. Well, I can't. Have you ever tried? Yes, I've tried. I can't get it down at all. You couldn't either if you were me. You're rum, little creatures, you humans, remarked Bree. When Shasta had finished his breakfast, which was by far the nicest he had ever had in his entire life, Bree said, I think I'll have a nice roll before we put on that saddle again. And he proceeded to do so. "'That's good. That's very good,' he said, rubbing his back on the turf and waving all four legs in the air. "'You ought to have one, too, Shasta,' he snorted. "'It's most refreshing.' But Shasta burst out laughing and said, "'You do look funny when you're on your back.' "'I look nothing of the sort,' said Bree. But then suddenly he rolled round on his side, raised his head, and looked hard at Shasta, blowing a little. "'Does it really look funny?' he asked in an anxious voice. ''Yes, it does,'' replied Shasta. ''But what does it matter?'' ''You don't think, do you?'' said Bree, ''that it might be the thing talking horses never do?'' ''A silly clownish trick I've learned from the dumb ones?'' ''It would be dreadful to find when I get back to Narnia that I've picked up a lot of low, bad habits.'' ''What do you think, Shasta? Honestly, now, don't spare my feelings.'' ''Should you think the real free horses, the talking ones, do rule?'' "'How should I know? Anyway, I don't think I should bother about it if I were you. We've got to get there first. Do you really know the way?' "'I know my way to tarsh after that. Comes the desert.' "'Oh, we'll manage the desert somehow, never fear. Why, we'll, we'll be inside of the northern mountains then. Just think of it. To Narnia and the north. Nothing will stop us then.' But I'll be glad to be past Tashban. You and I are safer away from cities. Can't we avoid it? Not without going a long way inland. That would take us into cultivated land and main roads. I wouldn't know the way. No, we'll just have to creep along the coast. Up here and on the downs, we'll meet nothing but sheep and rabbits and gulls and maybe a few shepherds. By the way, what about s- starting? Shasta's legs ached something terribly and as he saddled Brian climbed up into the saddle. But the horse was kind to him and sent and went at a soft pace all afternoon. When the evening twilight came they dropped by the steep tracks into a valley and found a village. Before they got into it, Shasta dismounted in it, it, entered it on foot to buy a loaf and some onions and radishes. The horse trotted round by the fields and the dusk met Shasta on the far side of town. This became the regular plan every second night. These were great days for Shasta, and every day better than the last, as his muscles hardened and he fell less often. Even at the end of his training, Breeze still said he sat like a bag of flour in the saddle. And even if it was safe, un I'd be ashamed to be seen with you on the main road. But in spite of his rude words, Bree was a very patient teacher. No one could teach riding as well as a horse. Shasta learned to trot, canter, jump, and to keep his seat, even when Bree was pulling up suddenly or swinging unexpectedly to the left or the right, which, as Bree told him, was a thing you have to do at a moment, do any moment in a battle. And then, of course, Shasta begged to be told of the battles and the wars in which Bree had carried the tar can, and Brie would tell forced marches and fording of swift rivers, charging in a fierce fights between cavalry and cavalry when the war horses fought, as well as the men, being all fierce stall- stallions trained to bite and kick and to rear at the right moment so that the horses' weight as well as the riders would come down on the enemy's crest in the stroke of a sword or a battle axe. But Brie did not want to talk about the wars as often as Shasta wanted to hear about them. Don't speak of them, youngster, he would say. They were only the Tarsic's war, and I fought in them as a slave and a dumb beast. Give me the Narnian Wars, where I shall fight as a free horse among my own people. Those will be wars worth talking about. Narnia in the north, Bruhu. <laughs> Shasta soon learned when he heard Bree talking like that to prepare for a gallop. After they had traveled for weeks and weeks past more bays and headlands and rivers and villages than Shasta could ever remember, there came a moonlight, moonlit night where they started their journey at evening having slept during the day. They had left the downs behind them and were crossing a wide plain with a forest about half a mile away on their left. The sea, hidden by low sand hills, was about the same distance from the right. They had jogged along for about an hour, sometimes trotting, sometimes walking. When Bree suddenly stopped, "What's up?" said Shasta. "Shh," said Bree, craning his neck around and twitching his ears. "Did you hear something?" "Listen," it sounds like another horse between us and the woods," said Shasta. After he listened for a minute, "It is another horse," said Bree, "and that's what I don't like." "Isn't it probably just a farmer riding home length?' said Shasta with a yawn. "'Don't tell me,' said Bree. "'That's not a farmer riding, nor a farmer's horse, either. "'Can't you tell by the sound? "'This quality, that horse is. "'And it's been ridden ridden by a real horseman. "'I tell you what it is, Shasta. "'That's a tarkin under the edge of that wood. "'Not on his war horse. "'It's too light for that. "'On a fine-blood mare, I should say.'" "'Well, it's stopped now, whatever it is,' said Shasta. "'You're right,' said Bree. "'And why should he stop just when we do?' "'Shasta, my boy, I do believe there's someone shadowing us at last.' "'What shall we do?' said Shasta in a lower whisper than before. "'Do you think he can see us as well as hear us?' "'Not in this light, so long as we stay quite still,' answered Bree. "'But look, there's a cloud coming up. "'I'll wait till that gets over the moon, then we'll be off.' to ride as quietly as we can down to the shore. We can hide among the sandhills if the worst comes to the worst. They waited till the cloud covered the moon, and then, first at a walking pace, and afterwards a gentle trot made for the shore. The cloud was bigger and thicker than it had looked at first, and soon the night grew very dark. Just as Shasta was saying to himself, we must be nearly to the sandhills by now, his heart leaped into his mouth, because an appalling noise had suddenly risen out of the darkness ahead a long, snarling roar, melancholy and utterly savage. Instantly, Bree swerved round and began galloping inland again, again as fast as he could gallop. What is it, gasped Shasta. Lion said Bree without checking his pace or turning his head. After that, there was nothing but sheer galloping for some time. At last, they splashed across a wide, shallow stream and Bree came to a stop on the far side. Shasta noticed that he was trembling and sweating all over. "'That the, the water may have thrown the brood off our scent,' panted Bree when he had partly got his breath again. "'I think we can walk for a bit now.' As they started, as, as they walked, Bree said, "'Shasta, I'm afraid of, I'm ashamed of myself. "'I'm just as frightened as a common dumb calamarian horse. "'I really am. "'I don't feel like a talking horse at all. "'I don't mind swords and lances and arrows, but I can't bear those creatures.' I think I'm gonna to have to trot for a bit. About a minute later, however, he broke into a gallop again, and no wonder, for the roar broke out again, this time on their left from the direction of the forest. Two of them moaned Bree. When they had galloped for several minutes without any further noise from the lions, Shasta said, I see. The other horse is galloping beside us now. Just a stone throws away. All the b- b- better panted Bree. "'Hearken on it. We'll have a sword. Protect us all. But Bree, said Chasta, "'We might just as well be killed by lions as caught, or at least I might. "'They'll hang me for horse stealing.' "'He was feeling less frightened of the lions than Bree, "'and because he had, you know, never really met a lion, but Bree had. "'Bree only snorted an answer, but he did sheer sh- along away to his right. "'Oddly enough, the other horse seemed also to be steering away to the left.' so that in a few seconds the space between them had widened a good deal. But as soon as it did, there came two more lions' roars immediately after one another, one on the right and the other on the left. The horses began drawing nearer together, so apparently did the lions. The roaring of their of the brutes on each side was horribly close, and they seemed to be keeping up with the galloping horses quite easily. Then the clouds rolled away. The moonlight, astonishingly bright, showed up everything of almost as if it were a broad day. The two horses and two riders were galloping neck to neck, knee to knee, just as if they were in a race. Immediately, Bree said afterward that a, that a finer race had never been seen in Calamarin. Sashta now gave himself up for lost and began to weather, wonder whether lions killed you quickly or played with you as a cat played with a mouse and how much it would really hurt. At the same time, one does not "'One sometimes does this in the most frightful moments. "'He noticed everything. "'He saw that the other rider was a very small, slender person, mail clad "'the moon shone off the mail, and riding magnificently. "'But he had no beard. "'Something flat and shining was spread out before them. "'Before Shasta had time to guess what it was, "'there was a great splash, and he found his mouth half full of salt water. "'The shining thing had been a long inlet of the sea.' Both horses were swimming, and the water was up to Shasta's knees. There was an angry roaring behind them, and looking back, Shasta saw a great, shaggy, and terrible shape crouching on the water's edge, but only one of them. He must have shaken off the other lion, he thought to himself. The lion apparently did not think its prey worth a wetting. At any rate, it made no attempt to take to the water in pursuit. The two riders, side by side, were now well out into the middle of the creek. "'and the opposite shore could be clearly seen. "'The target had not yet spoken a word, but he will,' Shasta thought to himself. "'As soon as we have landed, what what should I say? "'I must be thinking about a story.' "'Then suddenly, two voices spoke to a side. "'Oh, I am tired,' said one. "'Hold your tongue, Homan, and don't be fool," said the other. "'I'm dreaming,' thought Shasta. "'I could have sworn that the other, sport, the other horse spoke.' Soon the horses were no longer swimming, but walking, and soon, with a great sound of water rushing off their sides and tails, and with a great crunching of pebbles under eight hooves, they came out to the far side, farther beach of the inlet. The Tarkin to Shasta's surprise showed no wish to ask questions. He didn't even look at Shasta, but seemed anxious to urge his horse straight on. Burry, however, at once, shouldered himself on the other horse's way. He snorted steady there. I heard you. I did. There's no good pretending, ma'am. I heard you. You are a talking horse. A Narnian horse just like me. What's it got to do with you if she is? said the stranger's rider fiercely, laying hand on sword-hilt. But the voice in which the words were spoken had already told Shasta something. Why, it's only a girl, he exclaimed. "'And what business of yours is it if I am only a girl?' snapped the stranger. "'You're probably only a boy. A rude, common little boy. A slave, probably, who stolen his master's horse.' <sighs> "'That's all you know,' said Shasta. "'He's not a thief, little Tarkina,' said Bree. "'At least if there's any, if there's been any stealing, you might as well just say I stole him.' "'And as far as it's not being my business, "'you won't expect me to pass a lady of my own race "'in this strange country without speaking to her. "'It's only natural I should.' "'I think it's very natural, too,' said the mayor. "'I wish you'd hold your tongue, when said the girl. "'Look at the trouble you've got us into.' "'I don't know about trouble,' said Shasta. "'You can clearly you can clear off as soon as you like. "'We shan't keep you.' "'No, you shan't,' said the girl.' "'What quarrelsome creatures these humans are,' said Breed to the mayor. "'They're as bad as mules. Let's try to talk a little sense.' "'I take it, ma'am, your story's the same as mine? "'Captured in early youth, years of slavery among the Calmerns?' true, trucers," said the mayor, with a melancholy whinny. "'And now, perhaps, escape?' "'Tell him to mind his own business, Owen,' said the girl. "'No, I won't, Iris,' said the mare putting her ears back.' This is my escape just as much as yours, and I'm sure a noble warhorse like this is not going to betray us. We are trying to escape to get to Narnia. And so of course are we, said Brie. Of course you've guessed it that at once. But a little boy in rags riding, or at least trying to ride, a warhorse at dead of night couldn't mean anything but an escape of some sort. And if I may say so, a highborn Tarquino riding alone at night dressed up in her brother's armor, very anxious for everyone to mind their own business and to ask her no questions. Well, if that's not fishy, call me a cob. All right then, said Avaris. You've guessed it. Hohen and I are running away. We are trying to get to Narnia, and now, what about it? Why, in that case, what is to prevent us all going together, said Bree? I trust, Madame Hohen, you will escape accept any assistance and protection as I may be able to give you on the journey. Why, why do you keep talking to my horse instead of me? asked the girl. Excuse me, Tarkina, said Bree, with just the slightest backward tilt of his ears. But that's and talk. We are free Narnians, Hoenn and I, and I suppose if you're one running away to Narnia, you want to be the one too. In that case, Hoenn isn't your horse any longer, or my "'One might just as well say you're her, human.' "'The girl opened her mouth to speak, and then stopped. "'Obviously, she had not quite seen it in that light before. "'Still,' she said after a moment's pause, "'I don't see that there's so much point in that going together. "'Aren't we more likely to get noticed?' "'Less,' said Bree, and the mayor said, "'Oh, do let's. "'I should feel much more comfortable. "'We're not even certain of the way.' "'I'm sure a great charger like this knows far more than we do.' "'Oh, come on, Bree,' said Shasta, "'and let them go their own way. "'Can't you say they don't want us to?' "'We do,' said Huyn. "'Look here,' said the girl. "'I don't mind going with you, Mr. Warhorse. "'But what about this boy? "'How do I know he's not a spy?' "'Why don't you say at once say at once that you think I'm not good enough for you?' "'Said Chasta. Be quiet, Shasta, said Bree. The Tarkina's question is quite reasonable. I'll vouch for the boy, Tarkina. He's been true to me and a good friend, and he's certainly either a Narnian or an Archenlander. All right, then. Let's go together. But she didn't say anything to Shasta, and it was obvious that she wanted Bree, not him. Splendid, said Bree. And now that we've got the water between us and those dreadful animals... What about you two humans taking off our saddles, and are all having a rest and hearing one another's stories? Both the children unsaddled their horses, and the horses had a little grass. And Irvis produced rather nice things to eat from her saddlebag, but Shasta sulked and said no thanks, and that he wasn't hungry. And he tried to put on what he thought very grand and stiff manners, but as a fisherman's, when the fisherman. "'as a fisherman's hut is not usually a good place for learning grand manners.' "'The result was dreadful. "'And he half knew that it wasn't a success "'and then became sulkier and more awkward than ever. "'Meanwhile, the two horses were going on splendidly. "'They remembered the very same places in Narnia, "'the grasslands above the beaver's dam, "'and found that they were some sort of second cousins once removed. "'This made things more and more uncomfortable for the humans until at last.' he said, and now, Tarkina, tell us your story. Don't hurry it. I'm feeling comfortable now. Arvis immediately began sitting quite still and using a rather different tone and style from her usual usual one. For in Calorman, storytelling, whether the stories are true or made up, is a thing you're taught, just as English boys and girls are taught essay writing. The difference is that people want to hear the stories, whereas I never heard of anyone who wanted to read the essays.